Let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word now. Please help us to understand uh, what Peter is saying here and help us to find joy and delight in the magnificent salvation that is ours in Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a time uh, back before I was a Christian. I was studying at university and while I was at uni I'd been encouraged to do a course, Christianity Explained, and uh, I'd read a book, More Than a Carpenter, about uh, Christianity. And, and I, was, I was starting to think that, that Christianity could be true. But for me there were many obstacles, uh, lots of things that uh, stopped me from becoming a Christian, and so I hadn't yet taken the step, I hadn't yet put my trust in Jesus. I went along to a couple of churches, they were fine, uh, but then I went to Thornley Baptist Church. After church, uh, a lady, Mrs Green was her name, uh, she invited me back to her home for lunch. Now, uh, this lady was doing it quite tough. Uh, she suffered with quite bad pain, uh, arthritic pain. Uh, her husband was, uh, was sick. In fact, he died not very long after. Uh, the family wasn't rich, particularly after the husband died. She had a couple of sons around about my age. Uh, and she also had another bloke about my age who was a missionary. He'd been a missionary... Uh, it was, uh, a missionary in Turkey who was living at their home while he was in Australia. Uh, this lady had lots of struggles in her life. But what amazed me about her was her joy. She was so positive, so optimistic, so enthusiastic, so totally unlike my own family. Um, uh, everything was, was praise God this or thank Jesus that. I'd never, I'd never experienced anybody like this. I kept going to the church. And in fact, Mrs. Green said, anytime you come to church, you've got to come to my, my house for lunch afterwards. Uh, a few weeks later at, uh, at Thornley Baptist, I, I met another lady. Mrs. Foster was her name. And Mrs. Foster had just been through the death of her son. Uh, she was devastated, obviously. Uh, but again, in this lady, I saw an amazing joy. Not, not a kind of a shallow, stick your head in this hand, shut your eyes, I, you know, I'm going to ignore reality and be happy sort of joy. No, it was, it was a joy in God that profoundly sustained her through what was a dreadful tragedy. As I continued going to Thornley Baptist Church, I, I met a number of other people like that. Mostly people um, closer in age to my parents than to me. People who had lived life, people who had suffered people who had within them a deep joy. Do you know what? As a 21-year-old man, I wanted that joy. I wanted that joy. That's part of why I stuck around at the church there, part of why I ended up taking the step to become a Christian. I wanted that joy. Now, I am not, by constitution, a joyful person. It is perfectly obvious to me that the glass is, in fact, half empty. I've always found no shortage of things to be miserable about in life, no shortage of things to stress about and be anxious about in life. I am not a naturally joyful person. But in the good news of Jesus, I believe, and I've seen, that there is joy to be found. It's true, isn't it? Don't you reckon? I am sure it is possible to find joy in Jesus. And yet for me, 
it's, a, it's still always a struggle. It's always been a struggle. Even as a Christian, I'm by no means always joyful. Um, I still find, for me, that there are lots of things that take my joy away. Life is full of joy suckers, like, like, like leeches that just suck away the joy. How about you? I mean, I take it you would like to have joy. Who really wants to be miserable? Surely we would rather be joyful than miserable. So are you a person who finds joy in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a joyful? Could you describe yourself as a joyful Christian? Last week we saw that the, uh, the Apostle Peter is writing to some Christians in, uh, in what is now the country of Turkey. And, and you remember he says to them, you're, you're a very privileged people. You've been chosen by God to be, to be his people, to be citizens of heaven. But he also says to them, that's going to make it tough here on earth. Uh, here on earth, if you're God's people, citizens of heaven, here on earth you're going to be foreigners. Well, now in this next section... Um, having greeted his readers, Peter starts off the next section by giving praise to God. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Have a look with me. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. So he greets them and then he says, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter goes on to talk about the, the, the great things that God has done, the things that make Peter want to praise him. Now, Peter says that God has given Christians new birth. It's a very, very vivid image. No longer do we have the lives that we were living where the Bible says we were dead in sin and facing the judgment of God. And now, through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, we have a new life, a new life that extends even beyond death, we are born again into this new life, to use the expression that Jesus himself uses. We have, we have now a new and eternal life. Continuing in verse 3, praise be to God, in his great mercy he has given us new birth. And this new birth, Peter says, is into a living hope. It's, it's not a dead hope. It's not a hope that will prove to be false. Uh, through the resurrection of Jesus, there is sure evidence of this hope. It's not pie in the sky when you die by and by. I hope there's a resurrection. No, no. It is built on the historical fact, a fact that Peter personally eyewitnessed. It is built on the historical fact of a resurrected man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says this new birth we have, it is into a sure hope, a living hope, because it's built on the fact that eternal life is already visible in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Still in verse 3. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, Peter talks, talks more about this living hope, and now he calls it an inheritance. What's an inheritance? Inheritance is something that you receive when, when someone dies. Well, through the death of Jesus, Christians have an inheritance. An inheritance that, unlike the stuff of this world, unlike houses or cars or jewellery, an inheritance through the death of Jesus that will last forever, an inheritance, Peter says, that God is, God is keeping for us, storing for us in heaven. Verse 4, 
new birth into living hope. Uh, verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Christians have a new life, born again into the sure hope of an eternal inheritance, an inheritance that God is guarding for us in heaven. But, but it's not just that God is guarding the inheritance. Peter goes on to say he's also guarding us. Guarding the inheritance for us and guarding us for the inheritance. He's working in us by his spirit so that we'll keep on trusting Jesus, so that we will hold on, keep faith to the end. Continuing in verse 4, kept in heaven for you who through faith, are shielded by God's power. And then Peter talks one more time about this living hope, this inheritance. This time he calls it salvation. It means rescue. Uh, through Jesus on Judgment Day, God will rescue us, Peter says, and give us a place in his kingdom. Still in verse 5, shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, Bit of a long and complex sentence. Let, let's summarize it. Peter is praising God. Why? Because through Jesus we have a new life, a new birth into a living hope of eternal life. God is bringing us through this life to an inheritance that He's stored up for us. He will bring us through this life and through final judgment and into a glorious eternity. This is brilliant stuff, isn't it? What I love about this. Nothing's left to me. There's nothing I can mess up here. God has done it from beginning to end. Uh, new birth. I'm not a doctor. I have to ask a doctor about this. But I'm unaware that it is possible to give birth to yourself. God is the one who gives us new birth. Resurrection of Jesus. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. God did it. Raised Jesus from the dead. God is keeping the inheritance for us in heaven. God is guarding us and granting us the faith that we need. God is the one who will save us from final judgment. From beginning to end, God has done it all. To misquote Stevie Wonder, signed, sealed, delivered, it's ours. So how does Peter react? Praise God. Praise God for what a magnificent salvation. That's Peter's reaction. In the next section, Peter talks about his readers' reaction. How, they, how they're reacting to God's salvation. And he says they're rejoicing about it. Being saved fills them with joy, even in their tough circumstances. Verse 6, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice. And the Christians that Peter is writing to, they love the salvation that's theirs in Christ. It thrills their hearts. But there's a but. In, in fact, there are two buts. Or as the NIV puts it, two uh, those First one, you can see in verse 5, you can see it here in verse 5, it says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though, although, but, though, now for a little while you may have had to suffer or grief in all kinds of trials. And then the second though, relevantly, the second though is in verse 8. The Christians rejoice, verse 8, though you have not seen him, and even though you can't see him. 
So, so that's what Peter addresses now in this next section. The Christians he's writing to, they're rejoicing in their salvation, but there are these two challenges, these two things that, that hinder their rejoicing, these two joy suckers. Number one, suffering. Number two, the fact that they haven't and they can't see Jesus for themselves. All right, let's, let's look at each one in turn. Uh, Peter's readers rejoice about their salvation, but, but here's the first joy sucker, suffering makes it hard. Now, Peter's just got two verses here about this and he squeezes into it an incredible amount of stuff. These are the two of the densest verses you'll ever read. Peter, I reckon he's got five things to say about suffering in these next two verses. See if you can see them. The first thing, first thing he says, he says that these things uh, have to happen. may have had to suffer. And what he's talking about there is, the, the, the word there indicates that God is the one who is in control of their suffering. God is sovereign over the circumstances of their lives, both good and bad. Uh, when we suffer, we don't have to worry that suddenly the devil's taken over the universe or something like that. No, no, in a very real way, God brings trials into, the, in, in, into their lives. It's a good thing because if you want to pray to God, you want him to be in control of it. Second, second, the trials that Christians face, can you see there in, in those verses, they're just for, can you see how long for? Just a little while. Uh, compared to eternity, they, they don't last that long. I remember visiting a friend in hospital, a former elder of our church. Uh, he had a terminal disease. And, and the diagnosis was that he would suffer dreadful pain for months or even years and then die. Uh, as I spoke to him, and many of us spoke to him, he, I was amazed by how calm he was in, in the face of this diagnosis. And I said, mate, you seem remarkably calm about, about what you're saying here. And he said, you know what, Jeff, it's not going to be long. It won't be long. He said, soon I'm going to be with Jesus. And when I'm there and I look back, I'll see that a few months, even a couple of years of suffering was nothing. As a matter of fact, it was a few years and my friend did suffer. But all through he did it with a deep joy and hope. It won't be long. Or, or as Peter puts it, it's just for a little while. Third thing, he says, squeezing into this couple of verses, he says, if you're willing to suffer for Jesus, it proves the genuineness of your faith. It shows that you have a real trust in Jesus. It's when you have to suffer for believing in Jesus that you'll, you'll realise if you're fair dinkum about it or not. This is something I see uh, quite a fair bit at, at my kids' school. My kids go to a Christian school, all the teachers are Christian, all of the kind of authorities are Christian. And, and many of the kids at my kids' school, I reckon, uh, they, they claim to believe in Jesus just to kind of go with the flow. Because it's just it's less trouble, less fuss, less hassle to do that. They, they kind of trickle along saying that they trust in Jesus. But, but for many of them, when it gets hard to be a Christian, it's then they have to reassess. And maybe they go to university... They meet smart people who think Christians are stupid or, or maybe they go to work where Christians are teased and suddenly when it's not so easy, they have, to, they have to think it through carefully for themselves. Am I really a Christian? Do I genuinely believe this? Or am I just saying I do to please my parents and go with the flow? Same for all of us, isn't it? As long as everything's going well, as long as it's easy... 
we can just kind of mosey along in our faith in Jesus, unexamined. But when our faith in Jesus costs us, we're forced to think it through. Do I really believe this? Is it worth paying this cost? Peter says that suffering will prove the genuineness of your faith. And so, if you've suffered and you still have faith, that shouldn't stop you from rejoicing. It shouldn't suck the joy out of you. No, no, no. If you have suffered and you're still trusting Jesus, it's actually another reason to rejoice. You can say to yourself, I suffered and I'm still trusting Jesus. I must have real faith. I must be a genuine Christian. That's excellent. Thank you, Lord. That's really good. Fourth thing. Fourth thing that Peter squeezes into these couple of verses is this. He says, saving faith in Jesus is a really precious thing to have. If you put gold through fire, you'll burn off the impurities. Gold is tough stuff, but even gold is going to perish. But Peter says, saving faith will never perish. Saving faith will last forever. And so if you suffer and you're still trusting in Jesus, now you know you have a genuine faith and that is a very, very precious thing to have. Again, something to thank God for, something to rejoice about. A fifth thing that Peter says is this. If you suffer as a Christian and you keep on faithfully trusting and serving Jesus, you're making God happy. You're pleasing God. And on the last day, you will receive, Peter says, praise, glory, and honor. On that last day, if you've stuck with it and you've kept on going, it'll be seen. It'll be seen what you've done and you will be commended for your faithfulness. And so again, if you're suffering and trusting Jesus, far from being miserable, here's another reason to rejoice. Here's an opportunity to please God and be commended on the final day. God is in control of our suffering. It only lasts a little while. Suffering proves the genuineness of our faith. Genuine faith is very precious. And if we keep the faith through suffering to the very end, we can look forward to commendation on the last day. Five great reasons not to let suffering suck the joy out of our Christian lives. Peter puts it all together in verses 6 to 7. See if you can see it all here. Verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour for you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So there's joy sucker number one, suffering. Now in verse 8, Peter addresses... A second challenge to his reader's joy, joy sucker number two. It's the fact that they haven't and they can't see Jesus. Now, the passage we're looking at today, Peter doesn't say a whole heap about this. Uh, Next week, Warren's going to take us through wonderful next couple of verses where Peter gives us all kinds of assurances about the reality of the Christian message. talks about prophets and apostles and the Holy Spirit, all kinds of magnificent things. But but just here in our passage today, Peter does say one thing. Uh, One thing that I reckon coming from him is just brilliant. Uh, Peter assures his readers that they will receive what they're hoping for. He says, your joy is well placed because if you trust in Jesus, you will in fact be saved. Verse 8. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says you are receiving the salvation you're hoping for. It will happen. It is yours. It is real. Now, one sense you read this and you go, well, Pete, anyone can say that. So what? But the thing we need to remember is this. Uh, Peter's readers haven't seen Jesus. Peter's readers can't see Jesus. But Peter has. Peter has seen Jesus. Peter was with Jesus day and night for three years. Peter saw Jesus with his own eyes, resurrected from the dead, touched him with his own hands, heard him with his own ears. Peter, the man who who saw Jesus, the eyewitness, the man who saw the miracles, the man who heard the teaching, the man who knew firsthand that Jesus died, the man who saw Jesus alive again with his own eyes, he assures them here, your rejoicing is well placed. You do have every reason to rejoice because this is real. It will happen. If you trust Jesus, you will be saved. Take it from the eyewitness who has seen him. Genius, isn't it? All right, can you see what's here then in this passage? Uh, First Peter um, praises God for the salvation that he's given from beginning to end, new birth, living hope, eternal inheritance, kept in heaven, God protecting them on the way. Praise God. And then Peter talks about how his readers are rejoicing in their salvation. He addresses these two joy suckers, suffering and not having seen Jesus. And the point, of the, the point that he's making, neither of them should do it. Don't let them take away your joy. You can and you should rejoice at the magnificent salvation that is yours through Jesus. Okay. Well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Uh, at the start, we asked ourselves, are we joyful Christians. I can't see into your hearts, but not too many people are jumping up and down for joy. It's all kept within for us, isn't it? That's all right. But are we joyful Christians? I reckon this passage is really helpful in our thinking, don't you? Because there are things that can suck the joy out of us. And and I reckon these are two of the big ones. I I mean, there are a lot of things that I find take my joy away, but I reckon these are two of the big ones. I do find that suffering takes the edge off joy, don't you? Just, whether it be conflict or people thinking negatively about me or teasing me or being sick or having pain or things going wrong, it's a real distraction from joy. I'm not feeling joyful, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling anxious. But I reckon if I could... Just think through what Peter says and think about it in suffering and it really helped, don't you? So far, at least in my suffering, for what it's been, so far in my suffering, I'm still trusting Jesus. 
I think I probably just take that for granted, but it's not something to take for granted, is it? If you've been through suffering and you're trusting in Jesus, you look at this passage, that is really good news, isn't it? That is evidence of a genuine faith, a faith that stood the test. And genuine faith is a precious, precious thing to have. And I trust that by God's grace, there may be some commendation for you and for me on the last day as we persevere. I I don't like suffering. But it's just for a little while. And here we can see God using it for our good. So it shouldn't suck the joy. In fact, in some ways, as we suffer, if we think rightly about it, understanding the sort of thing that Peter has said, as we suffer, in some ways, there's more reason to rejoice. We should be able to have joy even through suffering. I certainly find, as Peter says here, that uh, not having seen Jesus is a challenge to my joy. I'm a born and raised atheist. That's my natural fallback position. I don't find that faith comes easily to me. I'm constantly assailed by doubts. I hate the fact that I can't see Jesus. But what Peter says here is so helpful. Two reasons why I reckon Peter can be trusted. Two things. Firstly, Peter was there. He knew Jesus personally, with Jesus, three years, day and night, saw the resurrected Jesus. I'm not personally in a position to know the reality, the truth about what happened in history with Jesus, but Peter is. He was there. But more than that, a second thing, and this really strikes me about Peter, is how he was willing to suffer for telling the truth about Jesus. Now, he went around telling everyone about Jesus and he ended up arrested and imprisoned and flogged and tortured and ultimately Peter himself was crucified. And at no point did Peter sort of go, sorry, actually, I just thought if I told you about Jesus I'd be able to start a church and make a lot of money and have lots of women. No, 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 no. To the very end, he kept on saying, this is what I've seen, this is what I've heard. Flog me, crucify me. Doesn't change the fact. Peter had nothing to gain from lying about it. He was there with nothing to gain from lying. Just one time in the book of Acts, I've put this on your outline here. This is the same Peter. It's Peter and his friend John, and they're telling people about Jesus. The authorities arrest them, put them in jail, threaten them. They say, we're going to kill you if you keep talking about Jesus. But in your outline, I've put what happened. Have a look at me from Acts chapter 4 on your outline. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter is in a position to know the truth about Jesus and he's got nothing to gain from lying about Jesus. He suffered for telling the truth. Friends, I put it together. I reckon he's trustworthy. I I, I think he's telling the truth. And so 
even if I haven't seen Jesus, even if I can't see Jesus, if Peter assures me that I am receiving the goal of my faith, the salvation of my soul, if this eyewitness tells me that, it's time to put my doubt aside. It's time to joyfully believe. Are you a joyful Christian? I'd rather be a joyful Christian than a miserable one, wouldn't you? And this just there's every reason to be a joyful Christian. What a shame to miss out. Friends, there's so much to be thankful for, so much to be joyful about. So friends, let's give joy suckers the flick. Let's joyfully trust in God our Saviour. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your magnificent salvation of us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that from beginning to end, it is your gracious work to bring us through this life and into heaven to be with you forever. Lord, help us to delight in the salvation that is ours. We pray that even through suffering and even though we can't see Jesus, you would help us to rejoice. To rejoice now as we look forward to a time of eternal joy with you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.